Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 969. Hey, let's start with the corkboard events at ID10T.com. For your corkboard event that you'd like to share with the ID10T audience, like James Patrick Carey, who writes, I'm having an album release party for my new rock album, Picasso's Brush. The party is on Sunday, November 25th at 6 p.m. It'll be at the Doubletree Claremont Courtyard, outdoor live music, 555 West Foothill Boulevard, Claremont, California, open to the public. No cover, just come and enjoy the music. For more information and to listen to the songs, please visit jamespatrickcarey.com. Also, uh, Jennifer Bement. Bement. Oh, Jennifer, I'm so sorry. This must be what you get all the time. How do I pronounce the... I'm so sorry. I've just become one of those people. But I'll make it up to you by saying that Saturday, December 8th and Sunday, December 9th is the raddest holiday bazaar, atomic holiday bazaar. Uh, you're going to find gifts of the show that can't be found anywhere else, all carefully curated and handmade. So Jennifer's thing is called Redheaded Stepchild Designs. It's it's hand-crocheted hats, scarves, ear warmers. Uh, they've been there for the past 10 years, and it never fails to delight. Saturday, December 8th to Sunday, December 9th from noon to 5 p.m. at the Sarasota Municipal Auditorium, 801 Tamiami Trail, Sarasota, Florida. Visit Facebook.com slash Atomic Holiday Bazaar for more info. And that's bizarre like like a bazaar for goods, B-A-Z-A-A-R. Bazaar. Um, this episode is Mr. Wyatt Russell, who is such a good actor. Oh, my God. He's so good. And, his, and he's already in a lot of cool stuff, but I, I feel like... I feel like the next year for him are going to be massive. Uh, Wyatt is promoting Overlord, uh, which is in theaters now, and uh, and I saw it, and it's great. It's sort of like um, it's like a sort of like a period horror piece. Sort of like a period war horror piece that we talk about it a little bit. Um, but uh, but Wyatt's a good dude, and uh, and I'm I'm really excited to see. So watch it. Watch him in Black Mirror. He was in a fucking phenomenal episode of Brack. I mean, they're all great episodes, but his episode was particularly good. So this is the ID10T podcast number 969 with Wyatt Russell. Initiating ID10T protocol. Hey man, Chris, how's it going? Nice to see you. Thanks 
for having me. Of course. Your house is awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. It's really nice. It's honestly really nice to meet you. I, my wife and I are fans of yours anyway. And then when I heard you were coming on and we watched Overlord the other night. Oh, you did? Oh, it's great. Did it's, like it? of course. I mean, it's like a fucked up period horror piece. Yes. I mean, you know, that's exactly. And it's stunning to look at yeah, as well. Visually, it's like. Man, what was cool is that Julius, the director, he did this movie called Son of a Gun. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good movie with Ewan McGregor, Brenton Thwaites was in it, Alicia Vikander's in it. He's cast these really good people sort of before Alicia Vikander, I think, became like Alicia Vikander. Maybe maybe she was, but but I'm not sure. It looked so great, and he made it for like nothing. And and so when you see that movie, you go like, wow, he's going to make this with you know 40 million bucks or whatever is going to make it look great. And every frame you saw on set looked like this is why you want to do a movie. Not many movies now that are on the theater that are on that budget are made to like really made to be in the movie theater. Yeah, there aren't there aren't a lot. There's not a lot of epic horror, you know, because it's just like it's so expensive. You know, horror is horror is a great go to for people because like oh you can make one for nothing and it's you know and play with that. But the scope. Yeah, is really, really, really spectacular. Yeah, the, that's what's fun about doing horror, in my opinion, is that you can do it for a million bucks. Yeah, you can make a great horror film for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars and have it, you know, make a lot of money. Yeah, and it gets you, you know, you can keep doing it. That's cool, but it allows you to have all of these different, for especially for filmmakers, have like a plethora of of ways to shoot the movie, ways to that they can sort of tell the story in, in specific and special ways. And that was like, it's fun to act in a movie like that. You yeah. Get a lot of freedom, you know, but also the style choices in the film that he, he plays with the, um, it's it, like the, the whole thing is so tr- transformative. It's like even the credits yeah, and the totally. opening credits and the closing credits and the, the, the logos and yeah. everything, it's all period. Yeah. So it completely immerses you uh, in, that, in that time. Totally. And, I, and I, I'm not a part of that process, but I'd imagine that J.J. Abrams is a big part of that as well. That's what, like, you know, you get Bad Robot. Right. And Bad Robot can do – their imagination is like – you know, through the roof, they, they can do so much, and they have so much ability at that building. I don't know if you've ever been in Bad Robot. Oh yeah, I have. I've been. I've seen all the Twilight Zone Isn't stuff. It cool? It's fucking incredible. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You walk in there and you're like, oh my god, like movies. <laughs> <laughs> this guy loves movies. It really is like walking into a kid's room. It but they just totally. happen to make movies there. Totally. Yeah, they happen rolled, to make everything yeah. there <laughs> with rolled steel windows. Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Except the Star Wars figures are actual Star Wars <laughs> right. figures. They're from. Star They're Wars. from. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. But man, I, no, like that, it was so cool being able to uh, be a part of the JJ learning process for me, just because it's important to have that imagination. It's important to not lose that idea of what movies were to you when you were 12. Right. That's what he is. Like he's 12 years old in his head, but he has a, you know, man's brain of how to tell a story. It's just it was just awesome. I was like I couldn't ask for anything more. I think it came out cool. Yeah. Did you did I read correctly that you were a professional hockey player? Yeah. So at what point 
were you getting slammed into a gl- to the glass where you're like, you know, I'm not sure if this is really... I... So so what happened was when I was about... I'm sorry. I'm That's all right. Move it away so I'm not doing the... Hey, people, like need, people need water. We I'm need like, water on. to live. Hang hold on. on one second. <sighs> We're, we, just, we do these in a urinal. We're just uh, standing yeah. in a men's urinal. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I was... When was I? I was 15. I moved to Vancouver. That was when I decided I really want to be a hockey player. This okay. is what I want to do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything else. This Canada is, is a good place to go. For Canada that. is a good place to go. Vancouver, and it's like the most beautiful place in the world. I loved living there. But that was the only place that I guess I could really go. At that, there was a couple other options, but that that was where I had to go to like see if how good I was, see if I could make it. And uh, and when I when I moved there. You got the taste of what hockey actually was. It wasn't, you, you know, I wasn't just the best kid in Southern California. Like being one of the better kids in Southern California puts you in the middle of the pack. And, and <laughs> right. You're there. So you had to make another leap. Part of that leap was Mark Bouchard teaching me how to fight a little bit after practice when I was playing in Richmond when I was 15, 16 years old. That was just part of it. Because I remember the first, I've told the story before, but the first game I ever had. Uh, there was a dude on this on this team called Abbotsford. Abbotsford's sort of out in the middle of nowhere. It's like a farm town and outside of Vancouver, about two hours. And I was first, I think it might have been my second game. Uh, he comes around the net, gives me a little cross check. I'm like wide-eyed, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed. And he looks at me. He's about 6'3". He was 21. I'm 15, 16. It's a big difference from that age. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to knock your teeth down your throat and get in fucking People magazine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, okay. Like, I didn't even know what to do because, like, he was going to do it. And he got in a tussle afterwards, and he tried to, like, fight me. Now, it didn't get to that point because my teammates sort of, like, you know, when you try to fight the goalie, it's like a big brawl right. in hockey. Um, but I realized, like, I have to learn how to do this and, like, stand up for myself and, and fight if I have to and be able to have a backbone. So when I did get bashed and I did get hit and you do break bones and you do pull, pull groins and you pull muscles and you get concussions, that ends up being a part of the game. That's what you sign on to do. And, and so I, there's, like, a weird little badge of honor every time you break a bone or get hurt or play through an injury or do anything like that. So it never was until at the end of my career, I was 24, until the very last injury, until I literally was told by a team in Norway when I was playing professional hockey in Europe that, uh, sorry, dude, you're, 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 you're groin, your hip, your leg is mush on your right side, and uh, you're going to can't play anymore. I was like, okay. <laughs> I've officially been told I can no longer play. An hockey. old man of 24. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that was it. That was like, I would have kept playing, you know. And when that happened, were you relieved at all or did you feel? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know, like we go down a path in life that we think is our path. Something happens. Yeah. It can either be read as an obstacle or a tragedy, or it can be read as like, okay, this is a new beginning. This is a chance for something else. This is the universe trying to tell me something. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, when you're 24 and you still have that energy of like, oh, I still want to fucking, you know, were you frustrated or did you feel like, okay, I'll just do something else? That was, well, if I, when I got, when I was 20, I got really badly injured with a concussion. I, I, I was out for six months. I couldn't get on a bike without throwing up. Uh, I couldn't 
get on a bike without feeling dizzy after 10 minutes, a stationary bike. Like, like I was hooked up to all these machines. I had people, doctors trying to help me and nothing was helping. Finally was able to sort of get back after about six months. But when, when I got hurt that day, that night, uh, I thought they thought I broke my neck cause I couldn't, I, I laid, I got hit. My neck got pinned in between the post and the, and, and this guy's body uh, I woke up to them cutting my gear off. Oh my god! Um, pull, I was in my own blood on the ice, and the ice had melted, so I sucked in and like sucked in my own blood, and it was like it, it was a very strange feeling because the first when you come to going, my, that's a taste of my blood, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't move my hands or, or feet for about four hours. So they thought I had might have broken my neck. So I got taken off the ice in a gurney, and. Uh, I was in a hospital in Brampton, Ontario, which at the time was not a you know a great area. Now it's much better. The gentrification has turned that area into into a different place. And uh, I just remember looking at the tile, the floor tile, the, the ceiling tiles that were like water stained, and they rolled me into a room and I was tied to a board so I couldn't move. And I remember thinking then I was twenty, like so this is over, and what am I going to do? Uh, I guess I have to direct or write or do something <laughs> that I sort of know how to do or I sort of been what am I just going through that thing of like immediate what else are you going to do because you can't I always thought this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life you know get a college scholarship and go that all ended up happening because at the end of the day uh it was a whole crazy night if you want to hear the whole sure story. yeah yeah um so I get rolled into the first thing I remember seeing is this dude who had his finger cut off, and he had it in a in a in a styrofoam box full of ice. Oh, his finger was like totally severed, and it was in the he had kept it in a styrofoam box to like have him sew it back on. And so that was when immediately I was like, oh my god, okay, I'm in the hospital, I'm in the emergency room. That's I'm real. Coming, Shit's real. Shit's real. I'm coming to, and they put me in a room. They were really overcrowded. So they put me in this room that was like a, had a curtain. It wasn't like a room room, and. Uh, so then they they put me. I was in a lot of pain, and they put morphine. They jacked me up with morphine, and it was like, okay, that feels better. Mm-hmm. You know, the pain's going away. And then, as soon as the doctors are about to see me, all you hear is code blue, code blue, code blue, and everybody stops what they're doing. Code blue means someone's heart has stopped, and they run to the person next to me, and the person there's a guy that gets rolled in next to me the worst sounds you've ever heard in your life, basically of somebody dying and they're doing the defibrillator and they're going, uh, and it's like, it's like, and I'm strapped to a board. I can't move. I can't say it, but nobody I know is there. My, my family isn't, doesn't live in Toronto. Uh, the owner came by and he was, he's the greatest guy in the world, but he came by later, but there's no one there. It was just me alone in this room listening to this fucking guy die. And, uh, and, they tried to save him. Don't think they did. And about four hours later, uh, I, I get in for my CT scan and I start to feel fingers again, toes. And I'm like, oh my God, I think, I don't think, I think it's like just a damaged nerve. And it was just a damaged nerve. I get rolled in. There, there, there's no room in the hospital for overnight stay. So they have to put me literally in a broom closet. Like I'm in a broom closet, way half the size of the room we're in now, which is tiny. It was tiny. Separated by a cheesecloth, there's another dude in the room on a gurney. 
that's where we're going to spend the night. Jesus. And I'm still in my, my tights, like all my gear, the, my undergear. I didn't get out of my undergear. It's like all tight stuff, and I have a huge hole in my cr- – I've, I've worn the same pants for five years. I've got a big <laughs> hole in the crotch. and like, So I'm, I'm sitting there, but I'm feeling better now because Tylenol 3 and I'm morphine and I'm okay and it's not broken anything and I'm going to be all right. I just had a bad concussion and whatever. I look to the guy next to me, and in my sort of high state, I go, like, oh, what, are you, what are you in for? And he goes, oh, knife, knife victim or knife wound. or He's got stabbed. And the doctor comes in, and I can tell by the doctor that, like, they're not treating him well. You know, they were not treating this guy well. And he goes, anybody looked at that? And he goes, no. And he pulls it open, and I can see through the cheesecloth. It's like so, it's a huge, crazy knife wound that's now like festering. It's like not doing well. And he goes and he changes the wound, and he goes, Oh, just so you know, the guy didn't make it. And I was like, mm-hmm. And the doctor leaves the room, and I'm, and I'm like, Oh, you were in a fight? And he's like, Yeah, I guess the guy didn't make it. Oh, shit. And I realized that the guy next to me that was being operated on by the doctors was the other person that was in the knife fight. So this guy killed him. This guy killed him, and I'm in the room next to the killer. Now, I don't know what, you know, it could have, he could have been self-defense. I mean, I don't know what the hell happened in terms of, like, what happened to the fight. But all I was saying, I'm going to spend the night in the room next to this murderer. Right. He wasn't a murderer, I don't think. I think it was like a mutual fight, it sounded but like. But you didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that at the time. And it was like kind of high. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to like... I mean, we're separated by cheesecloth. It's like he's <laughs> six inches away from me. So I was like, I'm just going to be super nice to this guy and eat my cheese sandwich and try and go to bed. And then I woke up in the morning and, and I went home and got picked up by my general manager. And uh, actually, weirdly enough, the next day, like I didn't remember... I, I remembered nothing of the next day. Apparently, I saw a friend and stuff, and like I, re- I remembered zero of it because my head was it was a, it was a disaster. Point being, that moment sent me into a place where I had to l- go. What else am I going to do with my life if I don't do this? Signed up for a course at USC to do like a directing course. Uh, loved it. I had a blast, and told myself like if I if I don't play hockey, I think this is something I'll, I like doing. I'm not just trying to be rebellious because my parents did it. Mm-hmm. Path of least resistance is something I don't didn't like. Didn't feel like you were growing. You know, if you just took the path of least resistance, it was like, well, I'm not going to. What, what do I have to offer the world? <laughs> you know, or whatever. In 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 film, it's like you got to have something to offer. And if you didn't do anything with your life, you really got nothing to offer. You, the movie, you have nothing to offer the story. And uh, I felt like. That, that I wouldn't have anything to offer. And, and, and then when I, you know, kind of did my life experience, I, I, I felt like I had earned some form of storytelling ability because I'd lived some of it, you know? Yeah, but I also think that this idea of like, oh, because his parents did this, obviously someone, people targeted you playing hockey probably because uh, of yeah, your parents. A lot, yeah. But, you know, I, I would almost say that you probably have more work to do than someone who just, moved here from Kansas because in your head, you're probably like, Oh, I have to have my own identity. Like I don't want people to think, you know, so in a way yeah. you work harder. I feel like you work harder you in your mind, uh, because of that. There is, it's a, it, like anything in life, it's a double edged sword. The, the, the one side being, look, I'm, I'm my girlfriend who I love more than anything in life is an actress as well. Her road 
Meredith Hagner. She's unbelievable. She's on a show, show called Search Party. That's a fantastic show. Her road to being where she is now, we've talked about this, is a very different road. It just was different. She had to grind it out at 18, 19 years old, living in New York, doing you know a, a regional theater play of The Wizard of Oz or whatever it was. And then get get on like you know just get on stuff that she could get on and work her way because no one knew anything about what she was. No one knew. there was not there was no prior information. For me, that wasn't the case. It was the truth is is that yes, was it easier for me to get to the position that most people have to work to get just to get to the place where an agent will talk to them? That's a hard place to try and get for anybody. For me, that wasn't because the access is there. Mm -hmm. When you go and talk to an agent, they're interested in you. Half of what they're saying is bullshit for most people. (laughs) My agent now is the only person that didn't bullshit me, which is what I appreciated him and why he's one of my very close friends and people I care about very much because he didn't bullshit me. The the reality was is that casting directors and people were interested to see if I was any good or not. Uh, the, the other reality is most people are good. Most actors I meet are really good and you'll never know them. You'll never see them. You'll never see their face because you have to have some sort of interesting story to tell or way of being to get people's attention. I have that. Uh, I had the ability to go in one of those rooms early on. I just felt like I was good at, and I carried that with me. Like, I think I'm pretty good. You can tell me if I'm not, um, but and I, and I don't know. Fuck all. I don't know like the ass from my, my ass from a hole in the ground in terms of what I'm doing. But it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's like you know the auditioning process. It's just go read the lines and be good and try and be the person. It's mm-hmm. not hard. I think I think that because I've had good examples. Um, but I'm not sitting here going. Yeah, it was really hard for me <laughs> because, oh boy, like my parents were famous and I wanted to differentiate from my parents and individuate. Like, well, yeah, no shit, dude. Like that's life. That's what everybody does. Everybody has to individuate from their parents at some point. And, and for me, it's easy uh, to, to, for that process in terms of thinking about it because it's all it is is just do good work. Do good work. Do good work. Do good work. Try and do the best work you can. And, you know, hopefully one day people just be like, hey, that's the that that's that guy. And, and that might take a while, but it's just it's a little bit of a war of attrition. But but that's part of it. You know, Michael Douglas is sort of the same thing. Yeah. When he was a younger Michael Douglas dad's Kirk Douglas. <laughs> but no one really knows that now. You know, his dad's Kirk Douglas, arguably a lot more famous than my, especially my at that dad. time, at that time too. especially at that time. Kirk fucking Douglas. Yeah. But he. Um, uh, he's a guy who went out and he produced, you know, a lot of people don't know is he produced one flew over the cuckoo's nest and won an Academy award when he was 32 Mm -hmm. because he was good at it and he cared and he cared about the work and he cared about his job and he was always good and just eventually went and became like, I don't know if that's going to happen for me, but I I do know that I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to fool anybody and, 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 and say like, yeah, you know. It was difficult. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't as difficult for me as it was for some people, and I can I appreciate that and what what they had to do that I didn't. Yeah, but it. I mean, that may open doors, but 
to continue working. Like it won't keep you employed forever. No. So the fact that you've con- that you've continued to work so much, and especially if you look at not just the things that you've done, because there you've done a lot of really cool stuff, but the things that are also coming out. Two, it's like the next wave. I mean, I feel like that's all earned. Like you can't, you know, no one's going to hire you consistently for a favor. They might do it once or Absolutely. twice. Right. But if you're totally. bad or you right. drag the quality of production, then pretty soon it's like, I'm going to look out for that guy. You know? Right. Yes, so totally. At least, you know, if anything, you can feel good about the fact like, well, I, yeah, but, you know, the, the, to, to stay in this place and to, to go to the next level – that stuff's earned. Like that's not – those aren't – that's not the favor in the opening of the door. Right. You know? And by the way, I think at all levels you can probably relate to this as well. Like you've created a really successful, awesome career for yourself by doing what you do and doing it best. When you get to a certain point and those things start rolling in and rolling in and rolling in next to the next to the next, you're parlaying your, your own success for your – Future success. Yes, but I've never, I've never had to lay in a Canadian hospital wondering if I was paralyzed next to a <laughs> next cir- to a knife. Circumstantial. <laughs> I mean, once you get through that, I sort of feel like but yeah, this audition's not that hard. That's no, no. Honestly, that's the truth. That was it. That was the that was the that is what made me who I am, and it's why I'll never, you know, like I was just I, I did uh, I was on Dan Patrick earlier, which I, was one of my favorite shows. I love Dan Patrick. Oh, show. that's all. Yeah, I'm, he's, he's, my, I'm not a sports guy, but my mom is obsessed with sports and obsessed. Oh, really? With Dan. Patrick. Really? And I met him on a plane once. I'm like, my mom loves you. you <laughs> so know? Was, funny. And he was so nice. He's the nicest guy and all yeah. those guys over there. She bought a like, fucking, I got her a Traeger grill because Dan Patrick. Yes. No She was way. like, Dan Patrick always talks about these Traeger That's grills. Amazing. So I got her Traeger grill with like these, these, these flavored wood chips. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks that. to She was like, and then let's That's use awesome. the Dan Patrick offer code or whatever it was. I so, love that so much. So yes. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> she is truly a fan if you got her a Traeger grill because Huge that is every fan. day. And I still fucking hear about it. <laughs> That's how, so good. How, you, how was your day today? It was oh. great. I threw some chicken breasts on the Traeger and you just can't believe like <laughs> the moistness. That's it so just cooks good. right in and the chips. <laughs> like, that is amazing. Yeah. By the way, everything that's ever cooked on that grill, today I was watching it. After I went home and watched it. And I was like, yeah, Meat, meat Fridays, Traeger grill. It does look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, what was I saying? You were saying you did the Dan Patrick show today. Oh. And you were talking about yeah. So I, I I did the Dan Patrick show and I talked about this one story that I, I had when I was in Holland and uh, I basically I lived with a heroin addict where you go and you you they put you wherever they put you you know and you're playing minor professional sports. It's not like I'm going to go on a house hunt right <laughs> <laughs> and see where like you know I'm going to raise my kids and you're like there for a year and hopefully they give you a bed and there's a heater right. And and so uh, mine was in the social housing unit that actually ended up getting torn down after I moved out uh, uh, that year. I was still there. I moved to another place because I was like, this is literally – it's going to be impossible to live here because of my roommate, Harm. And he was like a poet from like back in the day. He's probably 70 years old maybe, looked about 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got there. There's like a hole in the bathroom door. It stinks like piss and shit. The the shower I never once used because if you saw the shower, you'd be like, no, this is not possible. <laughs> it's cleaner to just nap. Yeah, it's much better to like, just, you know, just wash from the toilet. Wash. I, just, I just showered at the ice rink and I showered in our locker rooms. I literally never took a shower at home. And uh, I, I walk in, there's like eggs and mold and shit all over the kitchen. 
I was like, this is a disaster, but it's like kind of cool in a weird way. And shut the door, knock, knock, knock. Oh, hi, I'm Harm. And he's like, got this crazy, like, real, his face is like really torn up from it looked like drugs. Sure. You want some boudinkohl? Boudinkohl is like a real, like a, like a Dutch dish that's like a peasant dish where you have a ton of sausage, a ton of uh, uh, kale, and a ton of potatoes. It's really good. I love it. And mustard. It's like the best food. Anyway, he cooks that, and I'm like, all right, guess sure. Like, I don't know where the hell I am, and the team's not around, and sure, I'll have, you know, some brunicle. Upstairs in the attic, we go walk up, meet my other uh, roommate, who's a Rwandan refugee named Frank. That wasn't his real name, but that's what he went by. We were all eating in, in a circle, kind of like, you know, having a weird conversation, but I was like, this is awesome. This is my <laughs> life experience. This is what you do it for. And he's got pa- newspapers t- plastered all over his wall it's like half serial killer if he was weirder but he was actually like really kind he was a kind person got this cat running around i pick up the cat and i pull the cat off me and he has his claws in me i'm like oh my god fuck pull it off and he harm just starts like losing his mind in dutch yelling at me like and i'm like oh i'm like oh my god he's gonna like come at me so I'd be, whoa, settle down. Picks up a bobby pin off of his table, goes, Kush, drags it down his arm, blood coming out of his arm. And I'm like, dude, like, stop. <laughs> whoa, looking at Frank. And Frank's like, I don't know. Like, this has happened before. I just got here. I don't yeah, know. Like, <laughs> and I was like, this is, this, that. and then he puts the bobby pin down, takes a rag, this gray rag, cleans his arm off. And under the rag is all of his heroin needles and shit. I was like, fuck me, I'm living with a heroin addict above me? Like, God, like this is not an ideal situation. <laughs> but, okay, we go back, completely lose my appetite, and he would come in my room, like, at night, like, he would play, like, Loudon Wainwright III, like, blasting. He loved Loudon Wainwright III. He loved Nirvana. He'd blast Nirvana at 3 a.m., playing bongo drums to Nirvana on, like, a Thursday when we had a game on Friday. Finally, with my my... Uh, roommate Chad, we were like, we gotta get out of here, dude. What? So why did he freak out when the cat scratched you? I don't. Well, dude, he was he was on drugs, man. He was like he was like <laughs> constantly drugged up. He and I was so like da- I was point I was down to do anything because this is what it was. You're yeah, like, this is the life experience. I never felt like I was in danger, you know. Um, and and but but this one time he was like, what? You want to watch? You want to go, want to watch? And I'm like, what, watch what? He's like, no, watch a watch. Like, oh, watch, like a time watch. Yeah, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, I want to watch. Sure. She's like, okay, come with me. And and it's like, he's one of those guys where you're just like, okay, I guess I'll just follow you wherever. Like, you know, this heroin addict seems to know the score. Yeah, like, I, you know, and I did meet some other people through him that were like nice people. They were friends, you know, friends of his or whatever. And he takes me to this back alley. This dude opens up his jacket, and he's got like all these. Wa- I'm like, no, I don't want a stolen watch arm. I want. I thought you were taking me somewhere that was like this. St- I'm like, why did I think that? I don't know why I thought that. But it was like, you know, that was those were the experiences that like I just would never have gotten. And when I'm doing acting or writing or making movies or producing or whatever, those are the things you remember of like when things are getting tough or things are hard, like. Shit was a lot harder at one point, and that is what gives me the ability to, like, you know, I, I honestly not really care what other people say because I've lived a little bit of, of a life that, I, that I'm proud of, you know. That's fantastic. I mean, that does make you sort of bulletproof because you get you can get so locked into your own little safety bubble. Yes. And 
the more you're in that, the less open you are to growing and evolving, and then the more hurt you are susceptible. Totally. To getting, but then you have those life experiences, you're like, oh, yeah, this thing's nothing. Totally. Fucking, this one director didn't like, well, I don't fucking care. Yeah, you it know, doesn't like, matter. And I didn't have to pull a fucking cat out of my, off my arm in a heroin addict's flat in the middle of, you know. Right. What was the last, did you, when you finally moved out, did you say goodbye to Harm? Oh, was of there- course. Well, no, the last thing that he did was, by the way, I have a very soft spot. He was a poet in, sure. in, this, in the 60s and 70s in, in Holland, in, this, in the northern part of Holland called Groningen, which is Groningen uh, in, in American speak. And he only wrote in like weird dialect Dutch. Even the Dutch people I met were like, well, well, <laughs> I don't know what that is. It means nothing to me. <laughs> but, but he was a poet. And, and he, you know, you, you can Google him actually and you can see his, Harm D. Guikema. That was, that was the man's name. Big enough to like speak it, you know, like in front of like 500 people somewhere at some point in his life. Like he was kind of one of those like 60s, 70s. He was like the real deal. And then he just kind of got old and got was a heroin addict, and he's like he was truthfully a hippie. Mm-hmm. And he brought me this book. I don't know if it's real or not, but I believed him, of course. That's why I ruin a good story with the truth. <laughs> he he came in my room the last night we were there, and he gave me this lyric book that he said Jimi Hendrix gave him, and it's a Jimi Hendrix lyric book. That is from legitimately. It's from the set, the, the the late sixties, early seventies. It's it, 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 it's 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 you know it's, it says it on there, and he said Jimi Hendrix gave me this book, and I want you to have it. Whether he did or not, I don't care. Harm in his delusion remembered Jimi Hendrix giving him, and he wanted me to have it, and that meant a lot to me. Um, so I I have that book, and I've kept that book in my memorabilia. Uh, you know, stack. I'll tell you why I think it's real, because I think people when the when, when people get older, especially like you know if they're still on drugs or whatever, they might be delusional about what happened in the last five right, minutes, right? Right. But they do tend to remember with crystal clarity what happened like thirty years ago, right? Right. That's funny. <laughs> That's those, true. Those like those last few like real moments just cemented right. in their brain, and then the drugs really took over, right? But uh, so I, you know, I'd say there's, a, I'd say <laughs> That's if, funny. <laughs> it's if, true. If he was like a you know a relatively famous. Dutch poets, it's completely likely that he would have been doing drugs with Jimi Hendrix. Totally. And, you know, totally. That's buying what I thought. back alley watches uh, <laughs> in That's the late 60s. Exactly what I thought. And Jimi thought. Hendrix is like, hey, brother, take this. And totally. He's like, oh, thank you, Jimi Hendrix. And then he gave it to he, he bequeathed it to you. Uh, yeah. And it really did mean a lot to me because I was like, it meant a lot to him. That's all that mattered to me. And then, and then, and then, the, oh, I, actually, I forgot about this. We, I, the, we, you ride bikes everywhere. You know, we, like usually you went to Germany, we got, we got like cars, you know, to drive around. The team gives you a car. In Holland, they give you a bike. It's a lot easier to get around the city on a bike. So I'd bike around the city. My, my, the next apartment was like not very far down the street from where this one was. And I would ride back and you'd see Harm coming from the grocery store or whatever. And I'd, hey, Harm, how's it going? Like, because we weren't living together anymore. He was like, oh. Then he stops me one day and they're like, they're about, they're going to tear down the building. I'm like, yeah. Well, they should tear down the building. In my head, I'm like, this place is a disaster. They're right. Anybody, they're right. They're right. This is this place needs to be redone completely. <laughs> but he was like, we're having a, a a picket line thing of like, you know, will you come and do the picket line? Like, will you stand in front of the building and basically be like, don't tear it down? And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, 
<laughs> okay, yes, I'll, I will do that for you. I will go stand in front of this building that should be torn down and go, like, don't tear down this, this, this hellhole. <laughs> so I did it. And that was the last time that I saw harm was at that weird little, like, picket rally. But, yeah, the, the, you know, those are the times in my life that, like, I'll remember. I'll never forget, you know, doing movies and stuff and all that. Like, it's all well and good, and you will have great moments. But those moments, like, I don't think I'll ever, um, you know, you'll never have, I'll never have that again. I wonder if he's still, do you think he's still alive? Man, I hope so, but I really doubt it. He was, he was a real drug addict, you know. And, and old at that point. He was probably, I'd say he was probably 75. Okay. Uh, may, may, maybe 80. Um, he'd. That would mean he'd be about uh, 90, 89. Yeah, he, that harm didn't make it that far. You don't think so? No, nah, man. He was, he was, it was not, he was really, he looked, he, when I tell you he looked 100, he, he looked 100. What if some weird ghoul shows up in the middle of the night of your place and just goes, harm does not die, only transform? <laughs> just like, yeah, right. Jesus Christ! I would be happy. <laughs> I'd be like, harm, you're back! <laughs> Good to see you. That's what I would do. Honestly, it would be happy. It would be a very happy reunion. I'd, I love that. I was not prepared for this reaction. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic, though. But there's something about <clears throat> the fact that, you know, especially at that age, too, you were, you were just so open to – you were just open. Yeah. You know, like it's hard, it's hard to be open because the world is a scary place. It's so much sides. scarier now. It's so it seems so much scarier now, even than I know it sounds like I'm like old. I'm not, but I remember a time when we didn't have that. We didn't. Their Instagram wasn't a thing. Right. Twitter wasn't a thing. Uh, Facebook was just had just been a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was traveling the world. With my flip camera, <laughs> if anybody remembers what that is. I remember the flip cam. You know, it was cool. I wish they would bring that back, actually. It was really fun to, like, you know, and but it was for me. I wasn't living for anybody else. I wasn't living f- through myself for an, an, uh, people I didn't know. For attention. For attention, or even for my friend, for my other friends. I was just living that moment for me and the people that I was sharing it with. And no one else will ever remember or will, will, will ever feel what it was like for me to be in that position, nor should they. And that's not what life is about. And now we've reached this point where it's like, I need you to feel my pain. <laughs> like, no, you don't. You don't need – you don't – it is not important for me to feel your pain because you're – because everybody has their own version of it. Right. And I can't – help you with every single version of it. I can, I can help the people that I'm around and the people that I'm with. But back then, uh, it was awesome because you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to worry about uh, other people's issues or worry about, like, you know, even somebody watching you do something innocuously dumb. Like, I got arrested at a club for trying to break up a fight. Uh, that was this dude. I was wearing a big Zanku chicken, yellow Zanku chicken shirt, <laughs> representing. And, yeah, and I and I look and and there was a big fight happening, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's gonna get his ass pounded. And it looked like he was like this kind of thin guy, couldn't really defend himself. And these other dudes were like drunk, and I got in the middle of him, and I was like, stop, 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 stop. Cops run in, and all they think the guy remembered is me because I got this yellow sh- sh- like shirt on. And he's like, Damn. And I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. I'm the guy in the 
been trying to help you out, man. And, th- and then I get taken out by the cops. In today's world, I don't know, but it's very possible that it's like, pull out your phone. Do, 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 do. Oh, there's this guy. Oh, who is it? Oh, you know, uh, uh, the guy who plays for the Groening and Grizzlies. Oh, and, and, and it ends up being Kurt Russell and Goldie Hunt's kid. Yeah. And now I'm all over Instagram or all, all over Twitter or whatever the fuck. And it's like, that would have been a perfect situation where I'm like, what the hell? What, what, what? Like, now I, I feel like you would have gotten a lot of credit for wearing a Zanku chicken shirt. I would though. have. Actually. I've been like, that guy's <laughs> fucking rad. Right. I I, wow. I would have. I tried to escape the cops, too. I was like, I just need to get my jacket. Like, and I went back inside because all those clubs were like super packed. And I went back inside and I was like, hey, yeah, like hiding. And they came in and found me and took me out again. Oh, hey, guys, I found my jacket. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, it's here. Okay, you can go see them. Bye, guys. We'll see Did you get arrested? Like a cop they, car. They, or they just questioned you? They questioned me. And then I was like, I swear, I think they believed me, kind of. But yeah. they were like, you know, I didn't have any, I wasn't in the fight. Right. And, and then they, you know, but you got I wasn't a nice, to go you got a nice, honest face, though. Yeah. I was like, I swear to God, please, please, please. We ended up going to a pizza bar where then someone tried to stab this other Jesus guy. Jesus Christ. I remember that night was a crazy night. It listen, was so not, nuts. Listen, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> pointing any fingers, but you've been around, around a lot of stabbings and fights. I know. Are you sure? <laughs> that it wasn't me? Yeah, man, just saying. The light <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, you yeah. know, I always say this about murder she wrote. Right. <laughs> Jessica Fletcher probably committed all those murders <laughs> because funny. how many murders are you really going to be That's around funny. in Cabot Cove? <laughs> you know, funny. it's like. That's funny. It's a town of like 100 people. Yeah. Me, like, yeah. Maybe. I'm like, huh, I hope they never find out. <laughs> Yeah. And then all of a sudden in harm is like your Tyler Durden. Like, it's just not real. <laughs> it's like your soul is a 70-year-old Dutch heroin addict. Who by the way, <laughs> it's like, you got, by the way, you're giving me ideas. I think I'm, listen, I, I think as a writer and a director, I think there's a story and maybe it's just called harm. And it's just all about this guy and a kid that comes to live with them. Like, it's it seems like there is a story there. Uh, well, I have reams and reams and reams of pages of I would just uh, I would I would document my interactions with him when I was there. I would I would document all of my interactions because the, there were so many uh, that like he, he came in one night around 2.30 a.m. on a game night, the night before game night. And Chad, my my roommate, who, who was at that time living with me, I lived alone for about three weeks, and then thank God Chad came because it was like it made it like fun. And he was like, "I, I came up with a game, and the game is uh, World War Two, and it's 1978 to 1999." And I'm like, "What, what, what are you like?" What? I realize he's high, and I'm sure. like, "Oh, okay." Like he's like, "I secured 400 million dollars of investment from the government." <laughs> And I need another raise capital. And I'm like, it's weird. It was like oddly lucid, but in a completely delusional way <laughs> where you're like, wow, you came up with those numbers. Are it like- sounds a lot like talking to a child, but who has a lot, who has very advanced frames of references. Yes, who exactly. That's government. exactly yeah. what it is. Oh, okay. Let's play that. Yeah. Sure. And it was, and it was, it was totally fun. But I have all those, I have tons documented um, on and thinking like, man, if there's ever a way to fit this into something. I'd love to do it. I don't know. I've always thought that I would like to do that because it was an interesting time. Um, also, my time in, in college hockey was interesting because I played it at University of Alabama in Huntsville. Oh, wow. It's like a weird place to have a hockey team. And the stories are just like endless, you know, because you're getting into like, you're getting into trouble, harmless trouble, and you're getting into like, you know, g- boredom of when you're not playing in the summertime, you know, what like the life of, of that, of an athlete is like, and then added in where it's like basically you had, 
uh, southeast campus housing where we lived, and then like all of the don't, all of the uh, fraternities and sororities like around us. It was literally like Animal House. Right. It was, like the the fraternity sorority row is like such a nice like fraternity, super nice sorority like brick buildings, and they're all like you know super. Like smart kids, or maybe not all of them, <laughs> but but like you know they're like they're you know to network and like do the thing you do in college, and uh, we were in like I mean literally it was disaster zone. It was horrible because where they stuck the foreign exchange students right. in the hockey team, right? And uh, and they kind of hated us, but it was it was again it made for good stories, and I've kept I've I've kept them all. I just don't know if I'd ever really. Do it. <laughs> I just, it seems it seems like there is an idea where you're just this young, this kid in college, and then you you know like you you go over, and then you have this weird experience with this guy, and it just you know I don't know if it's a series or just like a great indie movie, but there, but I know. it just feels like, I know. and what a fun weird way to honor this delightful weirdo. I know <laughs> that you lived with. I know, I know. It would be great. I've thought about it a lot. I've always been like, it would be a pet project, you know. It would be one of those things where like no one's ever going to see it, but it'd be fun just to have done it. Well, the story that the, there'd be so much authenticity because you, you know, you you couldn't you probably wouldn't be able to sit down and write the situations that you live through. No you wouldn't way. be able to invent them. So there's, there'd be that air of authenticity to it. <laughs> yeah. It would be like, I don't know what this – I fucking – you know, like people would just connect immediately because there's a – it has like the molecules of truth to it. it. Uh, I would – or or everyone would be like, that's bullshit. <laughs> we're never right. Yeah, that's we're total bullshit. Happen. There's no way that happened. Are you do you are you making time to write currently? Or are you like oh well, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm working a lot of, as, as an actor, so I'm just going to do that for a while? Or do you do you balance your time? I balance my time. Uh, I've always tried to make time to write. I, I've written a lot of stuff that I'd never you know were not meant for me going like I want to develop this or whatever. It's writing to sort of keep that uh, uh, muscle going. Yeah. Because it is a muscle, like you know, it's like anything. Acting's a muscle too, uh, and but I've I've never pursued it. Like maybe I will in the future. Don't know. Leave it open. But I do try to uh, keep hat in the rings for like producing stuff, coming with ideas, so that you can I can still be able to act. I can still be able to do this stuff. It's when you decide to write something, you're 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 in it for right. a long time. It's it's a lot of work. And to, to be good, you would never just want to be like, eh, I'm going to throw something together and make, <laughs> make some money. That, that's not what I'd want to do. And uh, But, I, yeah, I try to keep it balanced. Otherwise, I think for actors, you get so locked into what the, what the people in charge are allowing you to do. Mm-hmm. And that's most of what it is. Like you're not really getting to choose what you want to do unless you reach a certain level. Right. Even then, it's like, you know, look at The Rock or look at, uh, you know, some of like the, he, he doesn't really he, he he sort of does. Right. But but you know he gets to make the movies that he wants to make in the genre that he's making. Right. Right. In. Right. 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 He's, he's actually a really good actor, in my opinion. Yeah, he's great. And you have, but even he has to like do the Juma- Jumanji. I love Jumanji because he was. Really funny and really good. Yeah, at at making sort of taking the piss out of himself, but also in certain moments you're like, wow, you could be really good, are really good. But you know, it's it would be harder for him to do something like, um, I don't know, 
you know, uh, like, like, a, intush- like, like the untouchables, or right? Like intouchable, like where right. the guy is in the wheelchair, like that kind of movie, right? It'd just be harder because it's him. So, you, in my opinion, you always got to keep li- the creative aspects of yourself burning just in case you're not working for a while, or you know, you don't so you don't lose your mind. You know, you don't feel like you're at the whim of. Of the, of the business, but also it's something that you said earlier that I, that also resonates and hopefully resonates with people is when you were sort of referring to the flip cam. It's like, oh um, yeah, I'm just doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 we were able to kind of separate so much of what we do now and go, I'm actually just going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. It feels like we we've become more and more a culture of like now it's totally. eighty twenty other people, maybe twenty percent me. Totally, I'm just trying to get validation or I'm trying to get. This or that, you know, rather than just, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this because I want to do it. And it doesn't, I would do this regardless. Totally. I think it's so, I think that's part of, I'll stop short of being the problem with our society. (laughs) But it is part of it. Like this, the show that I do, Lodge 49. I don't know if you The AMC show. The AMC show. Yeah. Um, There's an ask, when I read that show, I read it for me. It was the first show I'd ever read. Uh, this is long before it was even like greenlit to happen. I got it and I was like, it's probably not even going to happen, but just read it. I think you'll like it. It was the first show I'd ever read, television series, that I was like, this is special to me. And I don't know if it's special to anybody else, but to me, for some reason, it speaks to me in a way that nothing else really has. Um the character does, the characters do, the story, the whimsical aspect, the magical realism, how we look at the world. And it's very – everything is very, very, very mundane. But other people make it into things that aren't. And sometimes they actually blow up into bigger things. But really at the end of the day, still going home and going to bed and watching TV and waking up and watching the Dan Patrick show. Right. <laughs> Listen to your podcast. And, you know, that's what that's what we're doing most of the time. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I found that to, to – Again, just for me to be really special. So when I read it, people were like, "Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know." Like, I don't, it wasn't special to them, and and but to everybody involved in that show, it's special to us, and that's what matters. And I think that's what people feel when they watch it and they start getting into the show, is that it's a show made for people, in my opinion that things aren't made for. Mm-hmm. And it's a show that I always joke is made for, it's a great show for people who don't own a television. <laughs> you know? Like it's a great show for people who don't own TV. And that's what's special about it to me. And I, and, and people that come up and really do appreciate that show speak to that part of me, which is I didn't do that show, you know, for any, any, any other reason than I thought it was great. And if it found its audience, it found its audience. And if it lives on in some special way, it lives on. But the lodge aspect of a place you can come, a place you can go for people to hear your problems, help you with your problems. That's, that's tacit. That's, that's, that's like you're, you're connected in a way that's not through social media. It's not virtual. It's a very tangible, real connection between people that's why my, that show is special to me, and it reeks of that. Um, it's and it's very weird because you have to like you know promote it on Instagram and Twitter. And like, of course, <laughs> I don't have any of those things, but they do. You know, that's yeah. how they get it out to the world. It's like this funny dichotomy. But you know, I think you're right. I think that like it's absolutely 100. percent We live in a world where if people followed their heart a little more instead of what what their 
intellect would tell them to do for others, we live in a very different world, you right. know. I don't know if it would be better or not, <laughs> you know, there's aspects of living for other people and having some sort of like, you know, shame is a good thing to have. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, you I don't know, want to be, you know, I get that. Certainly we should, you know, like a certain accountability in society right. is good. Accountability. Like that's, that's how we, that's how we form a community. That's right. how we, you know, people don't run around and do whatever the fuck they want. But, right. but just in, in terms of like, you know, being really terrified of, Oh, if I don't do this or say yes. this or if I do that, then I'm not – then people – oh, and then they're not going to like this and I'm not going to get likes. And then I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, you know, know. just do, Like what do you want? What do you like? Because everybody becomes an imitation of something or somebody that they think has the holy grail. Right. Nobody's got the fucking holy grail, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not – it does not exist. I, I can promise you that. I know one thing. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And and it's like you you become sort of a caricature of of the reflection of society that you're reflecting. It's like the weirdest thing ever. You're looking in a never ending mirror that's yeah. just bouncing back and forth until you like you're into the abyss. And it's and it and it's it's really interesting to watch some people and how they engage with that. Like you walk around, you go to a hotel, and you're seeing people like just on a couch, like. Looking, <laughs> taking selfies, self lips, duck, duck lips, guys, <laughs> girls, who doesn't matter, and and they're and and you're constantly looking at yourself in a mirror all day. Yeah, that's not healthy. No, it's not a healthy way to live your life. It's not. It's not an. You're not engaging with the with the world. You're not engaging with people. You're you're engaging with yourself, and you're you're engaging with what the what you're trying to to put out there. Mm-hmm. It's not even like you're you're creating a persona that you're curating. For other people to see and other people to imagine what you are, even though that's not what you are, and it's bound to be archived in some weird server farm somewhere. <laughs> and that's what you're going to be, you know, that's what you're doing. That's what you're going to be known as. When you're dead, that server farm is going to be you. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's strange to me. Did your parents have a problem with their lips? Because they were doing this all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Like future generations. <laughs> yeah, like, did they, I think the previous <laughs> generation had a lip disorder. That's funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to know. By the way, that would be, that would be the best case scenario. That would mean we would somehow identified that as narcissistic and going, yes. oh, why are they doing that? Oh, I do. I 100%. Like, I've, I've really... I've been saying that I, I think in, like, 50 or 100 years, people are going to look back at this time of, like, weird psychological addiction and, mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever type of signaling we're doing the rest of the world with the same kind of horror as, uh, you know, when the, when they go, like... People used to have asbestos in their homes. Right. Kids worked in chimneys. What the fuck? You know, like people had this weird psychological addiction that forced them to act. Oh, my God. How terrible. Right. Well, here's 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 my here's my overarching like theory. Okay, And this could be totally crazy. But I think I think I think it is. I think that capitalism has become such a strong capitalism has won out. Mm -hmm. Right. It's such a strong thing. It's such a the, – the ability that I can make the life that I want my, for myself is such a strong pull that everybody has, has looked at companies of the past, the Rockefellers, the uh, Vanderbilts, all those people that built shit. Mm-hmm. And it reflected on them. It, they had PR and, it refle- and they became very, very wealthy and they ran stuff. It was for themselves. Now – what people are doing are commodifying themselves. 
So they're ta- they're, they're taking their soul, their being, their beliefs, their uh, religious beliefs, their their political beliefs, the, all of these beliefs that they have about themselves and how they look at the world, and they're putting out the best version of it on on Instagram, on Twitter, on social media. Then what they do is is they commodify themselves so that they can sell product for other people. <laughs> That's all that, that they're robber baroning themselves. They're robber baroning themselves. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's true. And then every and, na- the way, every self little natural resource. And it's gr- and, and I I think there's a lot of good to that actually because it does create a sense of uh, what you said before. Um, it creates a sense of accountability mm-hmm. so that. You know, companies will want to you, they'll want to promote with you, yeah, uh, and all these people. But on the flip side, it's like a, a lot of what that is 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 pandering to sort of the lowest common denom- denominator of what being a human is, whether it's like showing a picture of your ass mm-hmm. or uh, for you know flexing your muscles or whatever. Um, and then there's some people who who've really put a lot of thought into it, and there's differing levels of it. But I think that honestly, it's the commodification of the of the individual. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, because, they're, you know, it's like, well, the railroads are built. Right. And, you know, the right. microchip revolution happened and the nanotechnology, <laughs> right. you know. It's like, we're, we're, what's left? Well, we can, um, I guess, just exploit our own personal natural resources. <laughs> right. You know, yes. I can just dig out my, I guess I could just fucking dig out my soul. Right. What if I just, what if I just mined that for a while? Right. Yeah. Which, again, I don't have anything, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, it like anything, there's good and there's bad. And if you if you engage with it in a healthy way, that's great. Sure. If you engage with it in an unhealthy way, where it literally takes up all of your life and all of your time, and you start looking onto that that fucking screen and just judging your life by 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 what you've archived, that's a problem. Right. You're constantly living in the past. You're never living in the moment. You're never engaging. You're not really looking towards the future, other than what you have done in the past and how that affects it. So yeah, it's like and, an interesting. And it's also it's also. You know, uh, the, the the external world, other people, their opinions are so mercurial. Right. And if, so if you're making decisions, I mean, it's one thing to sort of, you know, be in a community and be, be an accountable member of that community and do good, you know, and make sure that other people are okay. But, you know, but when it comes down to like... Oh, this picture of this side of my face only got this many likes. So right. this side of my face right. must be better. Right. It's like, well, now you're now you're allowing an external thing that you can't control to put value in a in a warped, distorted way that that you're then re-internalizing. Right. You know, like that's that's where I think it's it's a little dangerous. Totally. For people, especially for kids. I can't fucking imagine Dude. what it would be like to grow up. With, with this, just as normal, you're constantly being watched, watched and judged and commented on, and you know it's so that's not healthy. I can't imagine <laughs> that. Like you're immediately growing up with the fact that I mean, it's it's again, it's base human shit. The the more likes you get, it's the like. Mm-hmm. It's called a like, and yeah. there's a heart that goes up next yeah. to it. That triggers aspects of your brain that go, that's good. People like me. I'm loved. I'm doing good. That like the more people like your photo, the more it gives you self-worth. Right. That's fucked up. Yeah. It's fucked up because they don't really care. Right. What matters is that someone comes up to you and says, hey, I love what you're doing. 
hey, good job, kid. Mm-hmm. You did great today on the or, field. Hey, or, I, don't, I don't agree with this thing that you right. said, but let's have a conversation about right, it. Right, right, Let's exactly. exchange ideas. There's no, there's not really an exchange of ideas. No, because every time you get, it's way easier to sit back and not have to worry about the conf- the actual confrontation. Right. It's way easier to do that. When you actually confront somebody, very, very rarely does it ever go wrong. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very rarely do people like – it's actually rare for people to like come to blows. Right. You know, it's much more common for you to go, I don't, I don't agree. We can argue about it. But at the end of the day, OK, 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 you know, like I actually like you as a person. I actually, I actually care. I actually care. I can see that you care. Right. And, and like, you know, people come together that way. This does not bring people together that way. And it starts from a very young age where people are like – now kids are like forming opinions at eight. <laughs> like that's insane. Your brain, your prefrontal cortex doesn't fully mature until you're 24. Right. The executive function in your mind does not mature until you're 24. So maybe you don't need plastic surgery at nine. At nine. Yeah. It's possible. You haven't formed yet. You physically and mentally have not formed as a human yet. No. And there are reasons we restrict... Right. It's like this is why you can't drive right. until you're this age. This is why right. maybe don't vote until you're this age. Right. You know what I mean? Don't drink until you're this age. Right. Because we know that there are certain things that maybe people won't necessarily. Now, if you're underage and you're listening to this, maybe right. you're the one who's more evolved than everyone else. But the odds are. The, the, the odds are numbers. that. By the way, it's not even about the, the evolution of yourself. It's just about experience in life. You're going. If you're 15, 14, 16. I can tell you that I remember, too. This is another, I think, nice thing to say. Grown-ups treat you like you're morons when you're 16 yeah, and and 15 and 14. You're actually not. You're not a moron. I remember being 16, 15, 14. I knew shit. I knew stuff. I was smart. I could figure it out. I also wasn't a troublemaker. I wasn't, like, into drugs. I was on a path. But, like, I got it. And when people talk down to me, it was like, don't fucking talk down to me like that. I, yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it. I know. And then you go off, but you will go off and do things that will make you reflect on some of those conversations and go, wow, they're really right. <laughs> they really were right. And I kind of knew that, but like now I really know that. And you have your experiences. And then you, the older you are, the less you realize that you know. It's just the way life happens, hopefully, right. because I think that it makes much more fun life. Well, you, it just, you, you have know. to learn through experience. It's very difficult. And this is just sort of one of the. The limitations of humanity. Right. We're not evolved to necessarily just take advice at face value. Right. Like, hey, um, what you're doing is really unhealthy. Great, thanks. Right. And then <laughs> right, exactly. crash, burn. Oh my God, I guess that was right. really unhealthy. Yeah, I know. I tried to tell you. Well, uh, I guess I just, you know, it's like my body just needed to feel that. Like, exactly. A, you can't, it's difficult just to tell someone some words and then they just feel it. Exactly. And so, you know, again, it is, it's not necessarily age, but it is experience. And statistically, you know, when you're in the world longer, you are going to have more and varied and diverse experiences. Right. And that's totally. what's better. And and also the fact that you were not just traveling at a younger age, but also like really living, experiencing. At, failure. And failure. Yeah. Big yeah. time. That was, that's the most important thing in life is learn how to experience failure. Like when you, that's like going into acting for me was easy because it was like 10 you know, ten thousand people booing you, and and then you and then you know, like that's that's rejection. Yes. That feels like failure. If 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 you let in five goals and you get pulled and people are booing you, that's that's failure. You failed. Right. You gotta get out there next the next game and play again and win. 
That's how you learn how to be a human being that has some form of resiliency and a backbone. Uh, and nowadays it's like, well, we don't want anybody to fail. Like, no one, like, what are you talking about? That's like half of life is failure. That's what we do. That's how we learn. And, and it's like, again, that whole world is like, well, I don't want anybody, nobody's failing. Nobody, I don't want to see my failures. Now there's a move. There are people who like love to share the, the failure and it helps them get through it. And, you know. Yeah. But I think that, you know, avoid, avoid, I mean, obviously it sucks, sucks to fail. It hurts. But avoiding failure at all costs is, in effect, a form of failure totally. because, you know, to to live is to grow and to grow is to fail because that's how you learn and that's how you evolve. So transitively, you're not entirely living if you're not failing sometimes because then you're not growing. No. So it's not like it's OK. But again, it you know, we because like what you said, we've become such like hyper cat turbo capitalists. It's yeah. like I must feel I must summon good feeling all the time. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know what? Maybe you just say to people like, be the fun parts of harm. Don't be the parts right. of yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't be the parts of harm that slices your arm open when right. a cat jumps on a dude who's living with you. You know, like right. just find find the aspects of harm that work for you, and not right. like harm as as in the person. Totally, what a fortuitous name! I know, Harm D. Wakema. Harm. Uh, now people are gonna look that guy up. I know they should. You can look him up. You'll see a photo of him. You probably can translate some of his like weird poetry, and it might it probably won't translate into Google Translate. So as we're kind of wrapping this up, um, what uh, what is it that you're? Obviously, people should watch Overlord if they, especially if they, you know, if you like, if you like. Epic movies, you'll love it. If you like war movies, you'll love it. If you like horror movies, you'll love it. it totally. It's it's a mashup. It's a really good war movie, in my opinion. It's It has great elements of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that, like... You have to you have to be careful about it because horror fans are very specific. It's, it's horror, mm-hmm. but it uses elements of horror to right. get the story across. Right. And it's, it has a bigger tale to tell which is uh absolute power corrupts absolutely nobody should have the type of power and nobody should be able to play god the way that that in the movie that the nazis are trying to play god Mm -hmm. uh and so it 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 has a lot of those elements but it's not a it's not just a straight horror film it has a lot of war elements to it and a lot of action yeah that's uh, really fun the opening scene i think is fantastic um, it really puts you on the edge of your seat and like puts you in a way like you're in a video game going f- experiencing it uh, through the eyes of the main character. It's shot so beautifully too, yeah. especially when uh, when uh, the other character gets shoved out of the plane and just the camera work as he's tumbling through the air. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're feeling and you're just the explosions all over. You feel, you feel it. It's so well shot. Yeah. It's so well shot. It's viscerally very, very, very well done. So I'm really happy with it. And uh, I just think I, f- I think you get your money's worth. You know, I think you go to a movie now. It's like expensive to go to a movie. Yeah, take your take your boyfriend or girlfriend. It ends up being like fifty dollar a night, popcorn and drinks. And At stuff. least you know. And if you got a park, got a park, and you got a you know, it could be a fifty. It. You could be dropping a hundy just yeah. to go out and see a <laughs> just, movie, right? So you're like, <laughs> I want it to be good. Yeah. And uh, and I think that we deliver on like the goods of at least why I go to the movie. To, to, to watch oh my movies. god yeah I saw, they sent me a link so I watched it on our you know like we have a nice big TV but right. it's not a movie like seeing the, seeing Overlord on a fucking movie screen would be incredible it's cool. yeah it's really really great so 
happy with that. Um, did a movie called uh, 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 The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams and yep. and uh, and uh, Gary Oldman's in it. Joe Wright directed it. Julianne Moore's in it. Um, and then I, I'm Lodge 49. I'm going to shoot in end of January. We got a second season. I'm so happy about it. And that's the thing. I was like, I that that that's really special to me it's just a very special show the people who make it are very special and uh and there's something about that show that i feel actually i've said this before but i feel like for the for the fans of the walking dead for the fans of preacher for the fans of of some of those comic book shows lodge to me is the world in which that magical reality and that fantasy comes home to roost Mm -hmm. where you can, you have a place to go with your friends who there's a dungeons and dragons aspect to lodge where it's like this world that we make up in our head. And is it reality? Is it not? What, what is, what is real? What is not? And how, what's the best way for me to be happy for these people who want more out of life? I want more. I want more fantasy. I want life to be more than it is. And you come and you and lodge is that place where you can sort of connect with other people who feel the same way, and that's the magic of, of life. Did I just miss an hour talking with you and not touch on the fact that you just dropped Dungeons and Dragons? Do you? Are you? Do you <laughs> I don't play Dungeons. Okay, and Dragons. all right. So I didn't. I didn't drop the ball. No, on that. I, I didn't don't drop play. The I don't deck. play. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. And here's the reason why. I've I've tried to be explained Dungeons and Dragons. My problem is I am hardwired personally to win something. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because you can't win. There's, right. no, there's, you no, can't, there's no winning. It's the story of the game. I love that. I'm into that. But my problem is, is in real life, Wyatt, me, the guy who played hockey and w- winning and losing was, you know, how I did everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that if I have to go to somebody's house and the dungeon master, like, just tells me like, sorry, dude, got an arrow through the neck. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? What did you just come up with that right now? Like, because you didn't like me? Like, screw you. You know, the dice uh, do what they do. I'll tell you what. It, if if you ever play, then I would just I would just advise the DM at the end of it. They go and the campaign's over, and then you could go. Did I win? And they'll go, Yeah, yeah, you won. <laughs> right, you won. Yeah. You won. All right, good, good for you. You won. Right. Yeah. I think I could get into it. Like anything, it's a good host, a good DM yep. is probably the key yep. to a a good game. It is because it's basically like a good director. Right. Like they're the storyteller. Right. So uh, as we're finishing this, what's one thing that makes you joyful? What's one thing you know? As we are. I just feel like it's a responsibility to try to look in a toxic world for where the good things are, where the joy is, you know, like what, what makes you happy? What makes you joyful? The relationships that matter to me most, I'm sure my family, my parents, my brother, my sister, uh, my other brother, Boston, um, my, my, my extended family, uh, my girlfriend, my dogs, that, that to me is what are, are the most important things in life? There's nothing more important than that. If that's okay, and if those things are good, everything else is fine. I don't care. The world could be burning around me. And if we have each other and you have the people that you care about, that makes me happy. I'm good. I'm alive. I'm working. It's, you know, it might not be going well. You could lose every, I could lose everything I have. And as long as that was good and we had each other, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. 
That's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I, you. And, and I, I'm excited. You're someone whose career I'm very excited to watch because it seems very obvious the the things that like the direction that you're going in. Thanks, man. And that it's all getting bigger and and better and and hopefully. Hopefully that is enjoyable to you <laughs> and uh, doesn't ever become overwhelming that you're still able to find the joy in it because there just it sounds like you have a lot of different creative outlets. So, you know, I hope you go off and write the harm story <laughs> <laughs> and uh, please come back whenever. I will. Thanks, man. Good, Good to great. see you, Wyatt. Good to see you, Tim. Thanks so much. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. The end. Um, that's awesome, man. Thanks. That was, that was fun. Yeah, that was awesome. I had a great time. I really appreciate it. it that... That is such a phenomenal Jesus Christ. He was such a crazy what a guy. gift. It was. It was a total fucking gift. Like it he was a gift. And that's like the, the part of the guy you got to look at everything, obviously. Like everything is both I could have easily looked at that been like, "Oh my god, get me out of here right now." <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. This is the worst oh, thing this ever. This is the best thing ever. Would you mind signing the guest book? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so all right. Um, Harm and I loved being on the <laughs> <laughs> ID ten T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts